My name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. Church Online. We're glad to have you join us, whether you're joining us live, watching at your convenience, or listening to the podcast. If you're new here, we'd love for you to fill out our Connect Card form. There's a link in our video description that helps us know who you are, that you've joined us, gives us some information so that we can reach out and share a newsletter with you if you would like, or if you have a prayer request, that's a great way to share it with us as well. This morning we are going into part three of our How to Be a Jesus Follower in 2020 series. Have you ever been called out on your own inappropriate behavior? I have. A couple of years ago, I was volunteering on a local nonprofit board. I was really excited about the opportunity, and during orientation we were told that part of our job was speaking up during discussions. So I took that to heart, perhaps a little too enthusiastically. Shortly after I started, I ended up being privately called out for being too forceful in board discussions. While I wasn't doing anything that went against the board's code of ethics, the way that I was tackling debates was making other board members uncomfortable. I think I handled the conversation itself pretty well. I thanked the person for coming to talk to me about it. I told them that that hadn't been my intention at all and I did want to change and I asked them that if they noticed me slipping again, that I would be more than willing to be corrected again. And I welcomed that. Handled the conversation well. But then I went home and I spiraled a little bit. I had trouble separating the criticism from my identity. I knew that it was something that was actually a problem because about six months earlier, I had messaged a few friends and asked them what they thought my biggest weaknesses were. And one of my friends had said that I tend to be, I tend to bulldoze people in conversations. And at the time that he told me, I thought that he meant just personal conversations, like a group of friends getting together and debating. And I thought, oh, well, that's just that, probably should work on it, but not that big of a deal. And then this latest criticism showed to me that that wasn't the case, that it was actually something that was more prevalent in my life. And though I was able to admit that it was a weakness of mine. I had no idea what to do about it. Was I destined to just be horrible in group discussions? Was I a jerk? Should I resign from the board? How should I make sure that this wasn't something that was a constant problem? I didn't know how to separate the criticism and my behavior from my identity, and I wondered if they ever could be separated. Eventually, I processed the feedback. I let go of my embarrassment and I reminded myself that I am not perfect. Being on a board was something that was new to me and them bringing this concern to me was just an opportunity for me to grow, to get better at what I wanted to do, to become more of the person that I wanted to be. Basically, I reminded myself that I wasn't a static person, that I didn't need to always be perfect, and that I have the capacity to grow. Isn't it amusing that even though those closest to us are very much aware that we aren't perfect, we sometimes struggle with when we're faced with it ourselves. I think this is also true in our faith journeys. If we focus on trying to be who we think a Christian should be, we can struggle with perfectionism. Being Jesus followers 
can help us let go of perfectionism because we're able to acknowledge that we are on a journey and part of that journey is learning how to get it right and not expecting ourselves and others to just be right all the time. Now, some of the confusion about how perfect we need to be as Jesus followers comes from verses that tell us that we are supposed to be holy, like God is holy. The thing is that holy doesn't mean perfect, as we sometimes think it does. Rather, it means set apart, special, reserved for something. We are holy as we set ourselves apart to follow Jesus. As we've said in the last few weeks, there's a cost to being a Jesus follower. But that cost is not found in needing to be perfect. The cost is that we must be willing to let go of our selfish habits and mannerisms. When Paul, a man who started many churches in the first century and then wrote to them to encourage them and challenge them, when he wrote the believers in Galatia, he told them, those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. This is not a one and done kind of thing. There are likely numerous things in our lives that we need to tackle one at a time and crucify. Crucifixion was not a quick or easy process. It took time. We may need to take our selfishness and drive some nails through it and work at it. Paul detailed what the selfishness due to sin can look like. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now that list is not an exhaustive list. As we can see on the end, it says other sins like these. But this list is something that we can use as a barometer for how we're doing as Jesus followers. Are we prone to anger? Do we get jealous or envious? Do we use our sexuality in ways that are harmful? Do we lust after things just because they would make us feel good? These things are signs that things are not quite right in our journey. As Paul said, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God is what is established when the world is reshaped and transformed into what it was meant to be in relationship with God. When someone talks about inheriting the kingdom of God, it's usually in reference to the fact that even though the kingdom is God's work, he invites us to be a part of that work and to receive what he is building. So those who are selfish, who are run by their own selfishness, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. But what do those who do look like? Paul continues by explaining, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit is the part of God that speaks to us, that directs us, and that connects us to God, and gives us new life that enables us to be followers of Jesus. He brings about this fruit in our lives. He gives us what we need to develop that radical love and radical generosity that Jesus calls us to. Unfortunately, these lists of the sinful nature and the fruit of the Spirit, 
They're sometimes misused as like measuring sticks. They, be, they end up being held up as a list of rules because we end up getting stuck on behavior. In another letter that Paul wrote, he addressed a disagreement in the church over what kind of behavior was allowed and what wasn't. There were some believers in the church who were really worried about the type of food they and other believers should be eating. Much of the meat that one could buy in the market was from animals that had actually been sacrificed to other gods. And some believers were concerned that eating that meat would mean that they were taking part in idolatry and that believers who did eat the meat were sinning. Paul cleared things up for them by letting them know that what they were eating or not eating was not the big issue. He said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Being a Jesus follower is not a matter of a behavior checklist, but of embracing life, the life that he is calling us to. Are we pursuing a religion where there are behaviors to check off, like going somewhere on a certain day, listening to a message on a certain day, giving a certain amount of money, memorizing scripture? Or are we Jesus followers that are becoming changed in a way that gives off the scent of being set apart, being different, of being marked by goodness and peace and joy? When we approach our faith as being about replacing our selfishness with the Holy Spirit, we become less concerned with to-do lists and perfectionism and more concerned with growth. When we allow being a Christian to be understood as a list of rules that people have to be following, it creates the pressure to be perfect, to measure up, for fear of being judged. Perhaps one could say that it makes churches become the Instagram of real life. Places where we feel the need to present a carefully curated life and feel like that we are surrounded by perfect people who just make us feel bad about our own imperfections. That's not what churches are supposed to be. Churches are supposed to be communities where we're able to be open and vulnerable about our struggles so that we can encourage each other and carry each other through the difficult times. Celebrating together as we grow. When we understand our faith as being about the growth that God brings about in us, we stop approaching being a Christian as a list of rules. And we embrace it instead as a group of people journeying together to follow God. Paul wrote about the church and he painted this beautiful picture of people growing in every way more like Christ of people doing their part and using their gifts to help the other parts grow, so that the whole church is healthy and growing and full of love. If we are going to be Jesus followers in 2020, we need to embrace a growth mindset. We need to be invested in our growth and the growth of others. When Paul wrote his letter to the believers in Galatia and told them about the sinful nature and the fruit of the Spirit, he also said that if another believer is overcome by sin, overcome by those selfish behaviors that lead to spiritual death, then those who, that were godly should help them onto the right path. He told them to avoid falling into the same temptations, but to share each other's burdens. 
Jesus followers who are invested in growth will be supportively calling each other out when care and growth are needed. That board that I was volunteering on could have handled things differently. They could have maybe not approached me about the problem and dealt with it a different way. Instead, they recognized an area where change needed to occur and they called me out on it. I believe I was able to grow from that experience. If we as the church develop the skills of being able to hold each other accountable for areas that need growth, we will be so much closer to being that healthy, growing community of love that is becoming more and more like Jesus. I use the word skill because care needs to be taken. We need to be careful how we approach these kinds of conversations and this way of life. It's not about our knowing better and constantly telling people what they need to improve. Jesus himself was very clear that telling someone else to deal with a speck in their own lives while ignoring the log in our own is hypocritical. We can't look at things that other people need to improve and be telling them about it and ignoring the things in our own lives that need to be improved. We don't want to be hypocrites. If we are doing growth work, we need to start with ourselves. The very first step toward becoming a healthy community of people who are following Jesus is for each of us to cultivate relationships that encourage us, but are also able to challenge us, and then working on how we respond to the feedback that we do get. So here are some tips on how to receive feedback well. First, stay curious. How would your response to someone change if you were determined to understand their point of view? Why do they have the impression or feeling that they do? In the end, you may see things differently, but when we choose to listen and understand, then we can evaluate the feedback we've been given. Don't just dismiss a concern. Stay curious. Second, don't get defensive. It's human nature to get defensive when we're given feedback, especially feedback we didn't ask for. But defensiveness blocks us from ever receiving the gift that is the opportunity to grow. Third, pray. Ask God to reveal to you the source of the issue that needs to change. Thank him for the person that brought the concern forward. Fourth, get a second opinion. Ask other people you trust their opinion. Sometimes we need an external perspective that we can't have about ourselves. They can let us know if yes, this is something that you need to work on, or no, perhaps this is just something that we need to let go. In some situations, the best person for this job may actually be a counselor, as they can help you assess whether your own thought patterns and behaviors are contributing factors to what's going on. Next, we're moving on to tips for giving feedback. Now I have to offer a big disclaimer here. The phrase that we want to help people grow does not give us a free-for-all to be telling people every little thing that we disapprove of or don't like in their lives. Instead, it allows us to see past a person's actions and behavior, see who they are and who they are called to be, and work from that perspective. So, before you begin, pray. Before you approach anyone, ask God for wisdom and guidance, and then listen to what he says. Second, consider the timing. An important conversation shouldn't be off the cuff. 
and there are times that you need to be considering where a person is in their daily schedule, where a person is in their life, and where the person is in their faith journey. You need to be considerate of all of those things. I once witnessed something that broke my heart. It was in one of the first churches that I worked at. There was a young woman who was fairly new to our church. She was a teenager and she had worn what she thought was a great outfit one Sunday morning. And she came and then an older lady in the church came and told her that what she was wearing was inappropriate for church and that she should change that. That was as far as the conversation went. And it wasn't helpful for anything, it was harmful. It hurt a relationship. It didn't explain at all why this person thought that what this girl was bringing to church by way of clothing was inappropriate. And it was just, it was really a shame that it happened at all. So consider the timing, consider a person's life situation, and consider what's truly important to say. Thirdly, don't operate on rumor. If you've heard something, drop it. If your basis is a rumor, you likely don't have a close enough relationship with this person to be speaking on the issue anyway. One caveat here would be if someone is approaching you with a story of harm that has, been, has happened to them. That is something different. That does not fall into what we are discussing today and that requires a serious response where um, church authority or depending on the age or the vulnerability of the person where other authorities need to be involved. So that is not what I'm talking about. Uh, but otherwise, if you do have not witnessed it, then you should not be addressing it. Fourth, consider your motives. Is this to build up or tear down? Is what you want to talk to them about, about them, or is there an aspect of personal sensitivity that's involved there? Fourth, make sure that you include encouragement. Remember that the goal is to build each other up. We as people tend to hear negative messages more easily than positive ones. So be sure to affirm the good things that you do see when you are talking about things that do need to be improved. The sandwich guideline is helpful, where you say something positive, and then you say what you're trying to address, and then you make sure that you have some, another positive thing on the other end. The next tip is that you should include specific suggestions for action. A small example would be, instead of saying, you're really rushed all the time and you make everyone feel like you don't value them, Instead of that, you could try, you seem really busy, and we really appreciate all the work that you do, but people have, people have been feeling like you don't care, and if you could maintain eye contact and stay focused in conversations, it would really help everyone feel more valued in your eyes. Last, the last tip I would like to offer is to reserve judgment. Reading motives into people's actions and or shaming them is not helpful in any way. Shaming is harmful and condemnation is not a part of the gospel. The lives, the communities, and the relationships of Jesus followers are centered on the hope and grace that he has given us, not shame. Jesus warned that we will be judged according to how we judge. He warned that if we condemn others, that condemnation will come back on us. Christ's warnings about judgment need to be heeded. 
But those warnings can also make us shy away from addressing any area of sin in anyone's life. But Jesus wasn't telling us not to challenge one another or help each other grow. He was warning against judgment and condemnation. Paul, who was one of the most influential figures in early Christianity, never hesitated to challenge believers and offer correction on important matters. He knew that in order for them to grow, there were things they needed to be told. Have you ever been a part of a relationship where you knew that whatever happened, the other party would never tell you if they thought you'd done something wrong? They'd never tell you if you did something that hurt them or offended them. They'd never indicate frustration or anger. I have. On the surface, it seems like it might be a peaceful relationship. There's no fighting, no disagreements. But it can actually be very uncomfortable. It's difficult to feel safe in a relationship when you never know someone's true feelings. Even though the other party may be hiding their feelings in an effort to preserve the relationship or make it easier, doing so actually harms the integrity of the relationship. The same thing can happen in church communities. We can fall into the trap of thinking that avoiding all difficult conversations keeps the peace, but it actually robs us of the gift that can be found in a truly vulnerable community where love matters more than our egos and truth and growth are valued over peace and perfection. When was the last time you were called out on something? If you can't recall a time, is it because you're perfect or because you don't have relationships where it's safe for people to do so? What do you need to change, do to change that? Perhaps you can recall a time that you were called out on something and it was horrible. Maybe you were attacked, shamed, or condemned. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can say right now to fix the pain that you may have experienced. I hope I've been clear so far that it's not supposed to be that way. We are to be carrying each other through difficult times, not harming each other with shame and condemnation. If you've been burned before, you may need to pursue healing by talking about your experience with a trusted person who can help you process before you'll feel safe to pursue these kinds of relationships. That person may be a pastor, it may be a friend, it may be a counselor. But I do think that these relationships are worth being pursued. A couple of weeks ago, I was listening to researcher Bernays Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us. And in the podcast I was listening to I was listening to, Renee spoke about the attitude she embraces when she's corrected or challenged on something. She repeats to herself, I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. I think that phrase beautifully captures the humility and growth mindset we want to have as Jesus followers. We don't have everything right already. We aren't perfect. But we want to get it right. We want to learn. We want to be growing as Jesus followers. Remembering that none of us are perfect, being able to be vulnerable with each other, to encourage one another and challenge one another, those things are part of the process of learning to get it right. We're here to get it right. Let's do it together. Guys, thank you again for joining us. Before you go, I would like to just take a moment and pray together. Father, thank you so much for the amount of grace that you have given us.
that you sent Jesus to die for us so that we did not have to die for our sins. Make that grace real to us this week. Reveal to us how we can work together with you in your kingdom and the things that we can do in our lives to grow, to become more like Jesus who we follow. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, guys. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. Central. To find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening.